What a simple but transforming word. Jesus loves me. Before I jump in my message today, um, I'd like to just get a, give you a little bit of an update. Many of you have been faithfully praying over the last five months for Paul Silva, and uh, you learned this week through our communication, through our lead letter, that Paul passed away. Uh, you're not putting a name with a face. Paul was the, the one guy who was faithfully here who was in a wheelchair. Paul and his wife, Lynette, uh, were one of our deacons, and um, it was sad for, for Paul to pass away this past week, obviously. Just a, a little bit of the journey. Paul got sick last October. Um, his sickness was complicated by his paralysis, and uh, things just kind of continued to snowball, and early this past week, Paul learned that he was not going to be able to live off of life support, uh, and he was going to need to be on life support for any of his remaining days, it was something that Paul did not desire, uh, had never desired. And so he made the decision to have the life support removed, and he passed away um, on Thursday morning about 4 o'clock. And so we pray for him, and we thank you for the hope that we have. We also pray for his wife, Lynette, uh, who happens to be in our service this morning. And uh, we also uh, just wanted to let you know about the services, some of you the calling hours will be tomorrow afternoon from 4 to 8 into the early evening. They'll be at the Ty Hamilton Funeral Home in Hudson. Uh, Paul was a Hudson boy, even though he lived in Clinton for, for a number of years. You, 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 know, you could took the kid out of Hudson, but you couldn't take Hudson out of the kid. So the, all the activities are going to be in Hudson. Um, on Tuesday, the service will be at 11 o'clock. I'll have the privilege of facilitating, uh, the honor of being a part of that. But it'll be held at the Grace Baptist Church on River Road in Hudson. And there'll be a time together back with the family uh, at the Portuguese club immediately after the service with the burial occurring at a later date. Um, much of the arrangements have already been taken care of, but there are some ways that you can help serve if you'd like to. Um, we've been asked to, as a church to help provide the appetizers and dessert for the experience uh, of the, at the collation. And so if you'd like to assist with that, first of all, there'll be a, a sign-up place out in our lobby. Frank Cooley is going to staff that for us immediately after this service, and you can go by and kind of take a look at what's already on the list and see what's in your repertoire of you'd like, what you'd like to, to help uh, supply to, to, to serve the family. And uh, you can bring those by here at the building tomorrow afternoon uh, or on Tuesday morning between 8.30 and 9.30. We'll have a designated area kind of separate from the kitchen for uh, for things that don't need to be refrigerated so we can kind of keep them out of the youth group's way. And for those things that do need to be refrigerated, we'll use one of the refrigerators in the, in the kitchen uh, and kind of separate that stuff out so we'll have it available to go on Tuesday morning. But it would be a, a great ministry, and uh, you've always been really great about doing that in the past. And, uh, and I know there was a number of people who signed up after the first service already. I'd like to just take a moment to pray uh, about that, and we'll dig into our word today. Father, the simple words, Jesus loves me, are words that create hope. And we're grateful for hope today. God, I'm grateful that our hope isn't just built on some kind of a fantasy. It's not some made-up story that they've made a movie about. But it's deeply rooted in what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do in the world and for eternity. So, Father, today we celebrate that hope as we think about our brother Paul and the experience that he has today. God, we're grateful 
that we know today that life was not an end for him, but a transition to eternal life. And we celebrate that today, and we have a spirit of joy in our lives because of that, even as we grieve and as we mourn his loss and we miss his fellowship. God, we pray today for his family. We pray specifically for his wife, Lynette. We thank you for the great years they had together. God, we know that they were blessed with experience what marriage is supposed to be about, that they were one. That means in these moments, a part of Lynette is missing. So we pray you'd heal her in this journey. Help her and the family to grieve and to grieve well, to grieve in such a way that they heal and they move forward and they know the hope that they have in you. God, we pray for the services that come up on Tuesday. We pray that there would be a great celebration as well as a wonderful, compelling proclamation. And so we ask for you to do that in our time together. Thanks, Father, for being a God, not just of this world, but of the world to come, and one who is eager to accept us into that world with you. And it's reflected in those simple words that Jesus loves us. And we pray in his name today. So those of you who lived in, live in Sterling or in Clinton or in Lancaster, some of you live in South Leominster or the northern part of West Boylston, you got one of these cards in the mail this week. Anybody? Was I the only one? A number of you got a lot more than the, than the first service. We might have, must have the outer towners that were here in the first service, but the rest of you just need to move to Sterling. All right, that'd be all right. And, uh, and we've got a couple of realtors that will sell you houses if you'd like to do that or in the fellowship. But as you can tell, we're going to start next week um, looking at starting a series that's going to take us through Easter and after Easter. It's a series in, that's entitled Defining Moments. And we're going to have an opportunity to look at the life of Christ through the last week of his life and then some of his post-resurrection moments leading the, up to the day of Pentecost and and we're going to see how Jesus handled some of the defining moments that really set his life apart and how those defining moments can impact our lives. But underneath all of that is that we understand that a defining moment is when God creates an opportunity for us to, to respond to his activity in such a way that either our life trajectory gets better or our life trajectory stays kind of neutral or our life trajectory sometimes can work in a detrimental way direction, a damaging direction. And part of what I want to try to process a little bit today with you out loud is, is there a way for you and I to create a life set, a mindset, a heart set, a, a, a spiritual condition, if you will, that actually has a tendency to preempt us to process those defining moments in a way that allows us to experience this positive spiritual directory, God's blessings in our lives. And, and, you know, to me, I think the answer to that question up front is, is yes, there is. I mean, I think that's the point of the parable of the sower, right? That as God sows his seed, those defining moments into our lives, sometimes it hits hard soil and nothing happens. Sometimes it hits shallow soil and there's an initial flash and then there's a fading away. Others, it falls among thorny soil and yeah, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's fruit there, but it's just kind of, it's, it's just not what it could be. And then there's that healthy 
fertile soil that creates a huge response. That, that defining moment becomes something that propels, just propels us, if you will, to a wonderful harvest of God's blessings in our lives. And, and so there, there has to be that. But the issue is, how, how do you kind of create or how do you cooperate with God where you actually make that journey from being harder soil to being the healthy soil? And, and it's a part of that that I want to kind of set up our series just a little bit today. And, and I, I want to try to answer the question. I'm doing a lot of this for myself, not just for you, but for myself. How do you and I cultivate defining moments in our lives? Ways that we, we come across opportunities, interactions, learnings from God in such a way that they really come to define us and they come to define us in a way that, that moves us so much closer to God, much more to what He's always wanted for us. And the passage of Scripture I've chosen is, is right on the, the heel, not, not on the heels, on the, on the forefront, just before Jesus launches in to the events of Holy Week. You know, Holy Week starts with the triumphal entry. We're going to look at that next week. I know it's not Palm Sunday, all right? I can read the calendar, but, you know, sometimes the series just has to preempt the calendar. So we're going to deal with the triumphal entry next week, and then we'll move forward from there. But, but just before then, there's an incredible series of events that occur in the life of Christ that I think have a lot to say to us today about how you and I cultivate an atmosphere in our lives where we experience these defining moments in a way that God blesses us. And I'd love for you to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 10 with me. Mark chapter 10. We're going to read verses 32 through the rest of the chapter. These are verses that immediately precedes Mark's account of the triumphal entry. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, our text starts today on page 856. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to read through the passage. I'm going to go back and kind of unpack the package. The, the passage for you a little bit, add some details in, some of the dynamics, and then I'm just going to bring an observation for us and, and, and tickle that out just a little bit and then allow you to do the work with God yourself about answering the question that God might be confronting us with. So we pick up in verse 32 of chapter 10. It's very similar account of this is in Matthew chapter 20. little different version in Luke and then in, in, very different in, in the Gospel of, of John. It says they, and that's a reference to Jesus and the disciples, and there were other pilgrims going along with them. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking out ahead of them. And they were astonished. Some of your, ver your versions use the word amazed. But those who followed him were afraid. So Jesus kind of sensed this. He said, taking the twelve aside, he began to tell them, and this is the third time in the book of Mark that he tells them the same thing. He begins to tell them the things that would happen to him. Listen. So it was, you know, pay attention, guys. What I'm going to say is important. We're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they're going to condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they'll mock him. They're going to spit on him, flog him. And they're going to kill him. And he will rise after three days. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him. Matthew tells us that their mother was also with them, whether she was putting them up to it or, or, whether, they, or whether they were dragging her in to their advantage. They approached Jesus and they said, Teacher, we want you to do something for us if we ask you. 
say, we, we want a blank check. Tell us yes, and then we'll tell you what we want. So verse 36, he says, well, what do you want me to do for you? He asked them. And they answered him, allow us to sit at your right hand and at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink? Or to be baptized with a baptism I am baptized with? We're able, they told him. <laughs> he says, well, you know what? You will drink the cup I drink. And you will be baptized with a baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those it has been prepared for. In other words, the Father gets to choose. Now, when the other ten disciples heard this, they responded as spiritual giants and didn't say a word. Now, it says they became indignant with James and John. So Jesus called them over and said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles dominate them. And their men of high positions exercise power over them. But it must, I repeat, it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. But they came to Jericho. And as He was leaving Jericho with His disciples in a large crowd, so as He was leaving Jericho with His disciples in a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, it's interesting, this guy has a name. His name means son of Timaeus. And he's also the son of Timaeus. It's kind of interesting, you know, that, but that, that's the way it worked out. And, you know, we have James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Now we have the son of Timaeus, who's the son of Timaeus. It's kind of like naming your kid, his first name Peter, and your, his second name Peter. You know, so this is Peter, Peter. You know, anyway, so we just, that's all a side point. That's pastor speak. Just, you can just kind of set that. Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar was sitting by the road. When he heard that Jesus the Nazarene, um, it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out, Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that there were two beggars and they were, claiming the same, they were saying the same, Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on us. And many people told him to keep quiet. Can you imagine that? Saying to the blind guy, shut up! You know? But he was crying out all the more. Have mercy on me, son of David. And Jesus stopped. And he said, call him. So they called him, and the blind man, they called the blind man and said to him, have courage. Get up. He's calling for you. So he threw off his coat. He jumped up, and he, and he came to Jesus. And Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? Kind of sounds like verse 36, right? When he met with James and John, he says, what do you want me to do for you? He looks at Bartimaeus and says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, Rabboni, or teacher, the blind man told him, I want to see. Go your way, Jesus told him. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he could see and began to follow him on the road. He got out his blessing to the reading of his word. Let me just pull out some of the dynamics that are going on underneath our text today and then 
kind of move to our point, and I think it's the reason why Mark phrases the wording that he does, and he, and he gets this from Peter and the message that comes across to us. So, you know, Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. You know, and, and as they would have, leaving Galilee with Samaria in the middle, and the Jews didn't really like the Samaritans, so they, he would have followed the path with the rest of the pilgrims, and they would have crossed the Jordan River, and they would coming down the east side, and they're approaching Jericho, where they're going to cross the river again and make, begin making their ascent up to Jerusalem. And as, as they're walking along, Jesus is out in front, a little bit more eager. The disciples are hanging back and, and they're amazed at what's going on because they're terrified. Now, if you remember from the Gospel of John, the last time they had been in this vicinity, they had gone there to raise Lazarus from the dead. And, and when, before they went, you know, the, the message comes in from Mary and Martha, you know, your friend Lazarus is dead. You need to come and heal him. And Jesus delays. And then finally, after a while, he says, you know what? He's asleep, but let's go wake him up. And they're like, well, you know, if he's asleep, he's going to get better. And Jesus said, no, 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 I meant he's dead. You know, he said, well, he's dead, let's don't go. He said, don't you remember the last time we were there? They almost cut our heads off. You know, and Jesus has now got his face set for Jerusalem again, going to the exact same area, you know, saying, this, this guy is on a death march. And they're following along behind him saying, we're going to die with this guy. So Jesus pulls him aside and he says, listen, let me go over this with you one more time. I talked about it once before. In fact, I've talked about it twice before. Let me go over this one more time with you. When we get to Jerusalem, the Son of Man, same reference he's going to make later, right? As, he, as he's processing the whole leadership thing and how you do it. He, 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 he said, the Son of Man is going to be turned over. He's going to be, he's going to be convicted of a crime by both the Jews and the Gentiles. He's going to be spit upon, abused, beaten, mocked, all that stuff. And they're going to kill him. They're going to, and he said, he's, he, they're going to kill me. And then after three days, I'm going to rise. Well, they didn't understand what that meant. So if you have some time, you struggle sometimes to get it spiritually, you're in good company. <laughs> Just join the 12 disciples. It took three times. They still didn't get it. You know, so the, James and John, bless their hearts. You know, they, they've got a little bit of a special relationship with Jesus. You know, we think they had a relationship. They were relatives of some kind. You know, there was a relationship between Mary and, and their mother and et cetera. And they come to, they come to Jesus and, and, and they don't know exactly what's going to happen, but they know the moment of truth has arrived, right? And they're looking at it and saying, listen, we're a relative of Jesus. We're better educated. We have a higher economic standard than all these other guys. We really should be in charge after Jesus. Now you've got to remember in those days when, when the leader traveled, I mean, he wasn't like on Air Force One and could run the country you know, from, the, from an airplane. When they were gone, they were gone. And whoever was number two was in charge. You know, so they're saying, you know, we, we really, so they kind of, listen, you need to make us number one and number two after you in the upcoming kingdom. And, and they see it as their moment of opportunity because Something's about to happen, and they know that Jesus is going to win. And with that, they want to be in the right place. And Jesus says to them, said, you know, can you really drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Now, the cup was a symbol of, of like a symbol of, of judgment, right? Just experiencing judgment. So, and to their naivete, they say, absolutely. You know, in the baptism, you're going to be bad. We can be bad. I remember the Jordan. We, we can do that. And they did, actually. James gets martyred in Acts chapter 12. 
John gets exiled to a rock in the middle of the Mediterranean and has to live there. They, they suffered for the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, you know what? You are going to drink my cup. But to the positions, I, I can't get that, that belongs to the, That decision is the Father's. The rest of the disciples are very understanding, aren't they? Now, I mean, you're thinking about Peter. You're thinking about Matthew. You know, you're thinking about Jude. Those are all New Testament authors, right? And then you get the rest of the guys all flowing in there. And they're, they're, they're mad because they think that James and John are trying to get like insider trading rights, right? They're trying to get this inside track to get the keen job. So they're, they're just all mad. And Jesus, you know, he, he's, already ta- he's already taken a child and stuck him in the midst of them and said, you know, you need to be humble like a child if you're going to be really used in the kingdom, right? And here these guys, all pride. He says, look, guys, let's go over this one more time. Look how the world does success. Their leaders, they look at people and all they are is raw materials. People's, the role of people is to make the life of the leader better. They just lord it over them. People are nothing but tools and raw materials to make the world better for the leader. They're just instruments to be used. That's the way they see it. They lord it over them. They exercise authority over them. She said, it's not supposed to be like that for you. If you want to be great in the kingdom, if you want to be the leader in the kingdom, always have your eyes open for the people around you to say, who can I serve? Whose life can I make better today? How can I care for people today? And he says, that's what I'm going to do. Because the Son of Man came to serve. Didn't come to be served. I'm not here to have, have you make my life better. I've come to make your life better. That's my defining moment that lies ahead is to give my life as a ransom for many. As an example to them as they begin to leave, they come into Jericho. We don't know how long they're there. It could be just overnight. They could have been there for a few days. They could have been there for a week. But Jesus... And his disciples, they begin to move out. There's a large crowd that's also with them. They're making the pilgrimage up to Jerusalem so they can get ready for the, to celebrate the Passover and etc. And, and they're making their way. And as they're leaving the city, they encounter Bartimaeus who's on the side of the road and he's blind. Now Bartimaeus' name is, is kind of interesting because the scholars really can't agree with what his name means. And I, I think I agree with the commentators who believe that his name is really used here in a double sense. It, it, it could have the son of the meaning of the son of one who is honored. But it also at times seems to be used in some of the literature, the kind of the wording that's with it. It could be used of the, one, the son of the one who has been dishonored. Actually, some of the commentators said it's like, it really means like the son of excrement. You know, this is, this is a person who has been so dishonored that now they're nothing really different than human solid waste. And it's interesting that, I, I, you know, here you have Bartimaeus, who could be the, the one, the son of the one who was honored. That's the way we were before the fall. And now he's the son of one who's been dishonored. And he's sitting on the side of the road, crying out for mercy from the son of David. And people are telling him to be quiet. And the reason why is because lame people were considered to be worthless. 
Those are the ones that God had judged, given up on, and had tossed aside. They had no value to God. They, they, God had given up on that. They were the enemies of God. So they would toss it. Those were the ones who would experience So here they are. Jesus is marching out of the city. They're crying out to them. They said, would you guys just shut up? God doesn't care about you people. You'll be quiet. Shut up. You, know, you have no value. And Jesus stops as a symbol of the one who has come to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, who, call that guy over here. And when he shows up, and he gets there with all of his enthusiasm, Jesus, just like he had said to James and John, what do you want me to do for you? Where they had said, you know what? Make us important. He said, Rabbi, I just want to be whole. I just want to see. I just want to be able to see. Jesus says, you know what? I can do that. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And the man could immediately see. And they began to follow him on the road. It's an incredible story. I, I, I believe Mark and Matthew were led by God to put those together because those questions of what do you want me to do for you tie the story all together. Those aren't separate incidents. They're, they're pulled together. And, and I think that that is a powerful question for us to be asking ourselves if we're really going to be people who experience the defining moments that God is constantly sowing into our lives. I, I don't think that, that we have defining moments every single day, but I believe in our spiritual journeys with the Lord, there are times that He speaks into our lives, creates environments, sows a new word, brings a gift, call to repentance, whatever it is. There are moments, and, and I think the thing that, qual- that adjusts our soil from hard to healthy is simply this question, what are we asking God for? What are you asking God for? You know, the G- James and John, they were about asking God for what they wanted to get. Whereas it really needs, as Jesus would teach through the leadership piece, about asking God, how is it that you want me to give? How do you want me to give myself away? How do you want me to serve? You know, where they're asking about advancement. <laughs> the guy in James, he, you know, the, the Bartimaeus, he's simply saying, God, just, just make me whole. Just make me whole. I, I just want to be whole. What is it that we're really asking God for? Are we asking God for control and authority and comfort so that we don't have any problems? Or are we, are we asking God that we might see what really matters now? Are we asking to be in a position where we can be served? Or are we asking God to show us how He wants us to serve? Is it about what we can get or is it about what we can give? And, and the list can kind of just keep going on and on. And, but i got to tell you that I think that the primary thing that shapes us, prepares us for these defining moments to respond to God's activity that moves us in a way where we're much closer to the Father, much closer to the life He wants to give us, much closer to the experience of these heavenly blessings that He's trying to pour out on us that Paul talks about at the beginning of the book of Ephesians are related simply to the question, what's really on our heart when we ask God for the things that He can give us?
What are we asking God for? Now, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't pray for people to get well. I'm not praying, telling you. I mean, the Scripture says, you know, if you're sick, call for the elders and pray over you. Absolutely. We should be praying for people who are sick. We should be praying for our daily bread. I mean, Christina met with some, some of the pastor's wives in Rwanda. They clear said, what is your day like? The first thing we get up in the morning is we just go try to find something to eat for ourselves and our family. Praying for our daily that's not wrong. Praying about things that are related to this world aren't wrong. But we also have to be praying for the things that belong to the next world and let those things really be our focus. You know, are are we praying for the ability to have that spiritual boldness, for that spiritual enlightenment that Paul talks about, and he's praying for his believers. Are we praying about those things that really relate to the next world and not just to this world? I think often our prayers can so easily, and our hearts can get so easily fixated on what will make our lives better in this world. And God's continually calling us to pray about those things that will exalt Christ's name in this world and the world to come. I don't don't really have any desire to answer all of that question for you. But I do think the thing that we need to be struggling with today is we think about having defining moments that can bless our lives as God works. It really comes down to in our hearts, what are we asking God for? What, what, what really is the core request that's flowing from your heart to the farthest throne? So here, so let me ask you these couple of questions, and with this we'll, we'll move to conclusion today. What are you asking God for? And what should you be asking God for? Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful that you are a God who loves to hear our requests. And that you're a God who loves to answer prayer. Particularly, Father, you love to ask for our, you love to answer our petition to be forgiven of our sins and to send your spirit, to send your presence into our lives by our acceptance of your faith in Christ. God, today we We come to you as a God who's ready to answer our prayers. Father, you know, sometimes it can be very difficult for us to cut through all the fog and really see and all the dynamics that are going on in life, all the pressures, all the concerns that we have, the priorities we're trying to juggle, all those kinds of Sometimes it's really hard to cut through the fog and to really see deep into our hearts and see what it is that we're really asking from you. But Father, I pray that today for myself, and for those of us who are gathered here today, just like the blind man on the side of the road, give us the sight to see what it is that we're really asking from you. And may it be honorable to you. As we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.